Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Peace Family is 19 Keys. It's the most dangerous podcast in the world. Make sure y'all tap in for some war room, some high-level conversation, and keys to be able to unlock and stimulate that guy within. Tap in. Peace Family is 19 Keys tapping in. Do you have the knowledge to be able to teach your child cryptocurrency how to build wealth? Do you have the knowledge to be able to teach them NFTs? See, I know a lot of you all think that you love your children, but I believe that love is an act and it's a duty. A lot of you all think that you love yourself, but you're depriving yourself knowledge that you can be utilizing in order to invest and live a better life. And that same knowledge can help produce a better life for your child. Now, if you learn this simple information by taking a few courses, you understand me? You have the ability to be able to teach, discuss it, and learn a whole new language, which also builds you a whole new life. So therefore, the next time that you stare your child in the eye, you can actually be honest when you say that you love them because you know you're doing every single thing to set them up for the future. Make sure you tap into Infinite Wealth Strategies. We'll teach you financial literacy. We'll teach you, put you in the community, teach you how to write books, teach you how to produce a book for your child if you got one, teach you how to set up your portfolio, how to set up your trust, and a multitude of other different things that is involved in it. Take your first step in building a better future. Join Infinite Wealth Strategies and become a strategist of wealth. Tap in. Peace family is 19 Keys tapping in. This is High Level Conversations. Y'all know in High Level Conversations, we deep dive and we get to the danger. The danger is a person that ain't afraid to go into all levels of the conversation on this intellectual battleground. And I always make sure that I bring in high level observers. A high level observer is somebody who's not controlled by what they see, but it's somebody who controls what they see. And when I look at my brother Durant, from what I've learned from him and from what he shows me, he definitely not only controls what he sees, he designs what he sees. And today I want to talk about branding, design thinking, and just business intelligence and setting up and structuring your life. We may go any which way with this conversation. So here we start with another high level tap in. What's going on, my good brother? How you doing, my brother? Blessed to be. Awesome. Yes, sir. Anytime, every time. Yes, sir. So before we get started, man, I know at least. I like to dive into conversations, but um, can you tell a little bit about yourself? You understand me? Um, if you can give us an elevator pitch on who is Durant Davis? Yeah. So my name is Durant Davis. I was born in Chicago, raised in Detroit, and recently resided in Los Angeles. I've been here for about four and a half years now. I'm a musician. I started playing the drums at the age of six. I started DJing at nine, and I started doing music production and engineering at 19. Along that time, I learned how to program and code as well. So in middle school, I was programming in Java, PHP, and I recently learned how to code in Swift. The goal for me was to mix technology with the liberal arts and music in general. So focusing on those different aspects of music and technology, I knew that if we mix culture, specifically black culture, and with technology, we'd be able to build something and take it to the next level. I'm 34 years old now. On that journey, I learned that a lot of us, our people that look like us, they weren't involved with technology 
had the background with music, they were involved in the culture of hip hop, but they weren't, in, they weren't involved inside of technology. Mm-hmm. So I spend most of my time through an 80-20 process. 80%, 70% of my time is 70, well, really 70, 30. 70% of my time is spent on technology, 10% on my personal assets, 10% on, on my family office, and 10% on just broad ideas. So I started out in music, and I branched over into technology. So most of my time now is through music, technology, and investment. So that's a little small spiel about me. Okay. Now, um, from you, um, from what I've learned from you, um, I met you first through Clubhouse, right? Um, and then we reached out and had communication to tap in. A mutual friend of ours was like, bro, you no, you really need to tap into Durant. You understand me? And after we had that conversation, I walked outside and I seen the building said Durant Industries on there. And I said... That's exactly how you spell your name and everything. I say, yes, it must be some synergy there, some synchronicity I need to tap in with. And my, my, my family know I talk about synchronicity, finding the meaning in the otherwise meaningless things. So it was important that I gave you a call that particular second. We talked. You showed me some of your technology, your music technology, and I was sold on it. You understand me? Um, and right after that, that's when we decided to actually meet up. You understand me? And then we was able to hash out even more business that's going to be global, that's really going to allow us to tap in and penetrate this industry even more. What I was most impressed about your presentation was the quality of design. Can you enlighten us a little bit on the Durant Davis design process? Yes. So for me, really design is not just about graphics, speeds and fees. It's really how do we take solutions and utilize those solutions to solve problems for humanity. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it from that broad perspective, design is implemented in that entire process. How do you solve problems as a family, as a brother? How do you solve problems as a sister? How do you solve problems as a son? How do you solve problems as a father? How do you mm-hmm. solve problems as a friend? All of those solutions are design-based. Mm-hmm. We think in design every day, but yes. we've been taught that design is about how shapes look, in which that's a large portion of it because even the world itself is a shape. So how, what I like to do is tell people to be in the shape. What is the shape? And problems are solutions in suits. Mm. So the solution is always there. The problem itself is the solution in a suit. And when I think about design from a broader perspective, it's okay. It's not just about how things look visually. It's how people experience them as well. And how does it respond to other individuals? There's this quote by Graham Newell. He said, you know that you've built a great design or a brand when, when, when you give it away to the people and they sell it for you. Mm. So first you have to give it away for people to actually know it came from you. And right. that's what I actually think about my far, far as my design process. It's less of being methodical, and it's more so being based on, okay, how does this make me feel in the outset? If I can just look at it and say, okay, this makes me feel great, I can take that assumption and suggest that, okay, this may be an equivalent feeling that someone else may have. Then I take it into a more academical process. Okay, what are the other things inside the market that look similar to what I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. doing? Then I make decisions based on those heuristics, but initially it just has to be a feeling. You know, when we were younger, we'll see the shoes and we'll know, like, I want that shoe. I want the right. brown one instead of the right. right one. We couldn't explain it like academically, but we just know it was a feeling. And I believe right. that design is always that. It's just more so on the right side of the brain, although we like to believe it's on the left side of the brain where we're utilizing a lot of logic, but it's really not. It's like making a hit song. How do you understand music abstractly? Right. So that's what I think about as far as design. So when, when I hear that aspect where you talk about just feeling it, that's where the intuitive intelligence comes from, right? 
And trying to explain intuition is that left and right brain battle, Yes. right? But what comes out of that intuition is when the right brain takes over and it executes that feeling. Because, you know, essentially our brains with intuition is much smarter than what we are, right? We're calculating at the speed of light. You understand me? And if our brain had to do that, we would overload if we actually had to go through all of that processes. So our subconscious intelligence takes over and it brings us to the natural intelligence or to a point to where there's so much data in there, it's just a feeling. And the way you interpret that feeling is to say that, hmm, I'm going to pick orange, I'm going to pick blue, I'm going to use this line. But the whole time, you don't realize you're operating off a super intelligent system. That's true. And if you're confident enough to know how to trust yourself and you design in that particular matter, then you're bringing visions to life. You understand me? And those visions is what the rest of the world interact with. My design process is always starting off with a vision, right? And what do I want people to feel, right? Like you say. So let's say like gold water, right? So with this, we started off, of course, I want a gold bottle. I want something shiny. Now, my, my thesis is that black people take everything that's good for them as a luxury, we take consciousness, we take health, we take education, we take wealth, all that's luxuries that we ain't really got to pay attention to. So I said, how come I don't just design it as a luxury company then? We take it as a luxury, let me design it as luxury. So I said, when I'm thinking about design, I'm thinking about what are, what's the social value of somebody having this gold bottle? You go in somebody's house and they got the gold bottle sitting up there, oh, that look good. You understand me? So let me design this as a luxury. Yeah, curiosity. And also, same thing as when you're designing the price. If somebody knows that it's an aspirational price, it's something that was expensive, now it also has another social value to where, oh, if you got this, you got money. So now people want to share this. I'm going to share my gold bottle the same way I share gold bottles of liquor. You understand me? So now you have to have all of these values built into your design process rather than just saying, that, oh, I got a cool design. I'm going to throw it on a shirt. I'm going to throw a product out there. Like, what is your design ethos? What is your intelligence? What is your system that you go with, right? Then I say, well, let's work with a little nostalgia. Let's put, let's do holographic stickers. You understand me? As we spoke, remember when we was children? Or if you was like me, we'd go to the, uh, um, everywhere they had those little machines where you put the quarters in. Yeah. You understand me? And the stickers came out. We put stickers everywhere. So now I'm selling to grown adults of my generation that I know was playing with stickers the same way I did. So now you got the holograph on there. Now it allows for greater shareability as well. So now you go put this on social media. It's shining. It's looking good. Plus people know you're taking care of your health. And they know you got that from Big Keys. You know what I'm talking about? So all of this goes into my design aesthetic. Like I don't just put out a product. I think about, like you said, I, I think about the social impact, the value that comes along with it, the shareability, right? The the evocation of feeling and emotions and things of that nature and all of that being added into. And then, you know, I created all my products. I'm the one who designed all the logos and things of that nature. And every aspect of it has a particular reason. Nothing is without reason in design, right? Good design is truthful. You understand me? Good design has a clean aesthetic. Good design uh, uh, um, does not over communicate a message. You understand me? Because you know it's bad design if you have to explain a message afterwards in this design. The design is supposed to be the explainer in the first place. So I, I also believe that I have this 3A process. If we're talking about something academically, 
is the acquire, accommodate, and apply. Mm. So that's and that's the information side of the design. So first, I have to acquire the information. Yeah. What is design? How does these different companies think about design? How do the biggest brands in the world think about design? How do yeah. other people think about design? Facts, facts. So when I acquire that information, I decipher through the information. Then I must accommodate people with the information. So people think a lot, oh, I should sell, I should sell, I should sell. Actually, you should offer your service to people because that's going to be your early customers and the people that actually rally for you. So I acquire the information, accommodate people with the information, and that's the funnel for my testing process. Then I apply it for myself. Mm. So that's I always do that with everything, whether it's information, design, decision faculties, acquire, accommodate, then apply. And that's like the 3A process that I use, the methodology. Yeah, that's, that's the scientific uh, methodology, you know. Um, being a great experiencer myself, you know, it does definitely get scientific, right? You have your hypotheses. Like for me, part of my intelligence is, you know, deductive reasoning or abductive reasoning, right? There's inductive, abductive, there's all these different type of reasonings, and I study different types of intelligence. So I was trying to figure out, like, where does my type of intelligence come from? Right. And there's like nine different type of intelligence as well that people actually draw from, from physical intelligence, from spatial intelligence, from multitude of different ways that we actually go about solving problems and learning things. The average person doesn't know themselves. They don't know why they like certain things. You understand me? Like we have all of these uninterpreted feelings, all of these uninterpreted things about ourselves. And we just say, well, that's just me. But that's why we talk about knowledge itself. Like you have to know yourself. You have to know that. Marketers utilize neuroscience to target pregnant women at birth so that their child grows up and becomes a consumer, so that the household utilizes their product. So you may be eating junk food, not realizing it's because your mother ate junk food, but it's also doubled down because that the targeters, you understand me, of pregnant women made sure that this mother ate junk food so that they have long brand, long-term brand or brand longevity long-term. Uh, and this is, why I said, this is why I said design is not just the things that we actually see visually. Yeah. It's systems as well. Yeah. What you're speaking about is a design system. Yeah. They're thinking about the customer through the funnel of individuals that aren't even born yet. Right. So how do we take this individual and have this person as a customer and the lineage from this individual as well? And that's a design-based system. And see, that's controlling the landscape of time, right, rather than space. If you're in an industry and you're thinking about controlling space, you're thinking about the now. I want to control as many customers right now. You understand me? But if you're building a brand, it's thinking about the landscape of time. For the next 10, 20, 30 years, I want to be the one who controls this industry. Animals think about space. You piss on a tree, I control this space, this is mine. Right? Men started to want to control ages. You understand me? This is the bronze age, the golden age. This is this age, right? So when you're really thinking about branding, you're thinking about how can I control the space of time? You understand me? not just control the space that you're in. So for me, I don't just do marketing. You understand me? Because marketing is telling people what you want them to know about you. If I, if I walk away, I say, Brother Durant, I'm the top thought leader of our generation. That's what I want you. That's what I'm marketing to you. Like, you understand me? Like if I put that on the shirt, I'm advertising it to you. You understand me? If I text you, I'm, I'm text message marketing it to you. If I email, I'm email marketing to you. I want you to think that about me. Right now, the more I do it, the more you become attracted to that message. But if you walk away and in your mind, someone else already has the landscape 
and the real estate of being the top thought leader in the world, that would never become my brand because you're not going to spread that marketing. Oh, I left 19 Keys, and he said he was the top thought leader in the world. Nah, hell no. Nah. So-and-so the top thought leader in the world. It's the same thing with other brands, right? If somebody, if a shoe company right now says that, and you start a shoe company day one and say, hey, we have the biggest shoe company in the world, the customer is going to be turned off because you just lied to them. They're going to start thinking of who? Nike. You understand me? You're like, no, Nike get a top. So now your marketing not going to do well. But if you come out and say, we have the smallest company in the world. The consumer actually loves honesty. You understand me? They love bluntness because they can believe you now. So now it actually would do better in a marketing sense. It's going to lead more people and it's going to generate more sales. So with marketing, if I tell you I'm a top star leader in the world and you go tell somebody else, now that becomes my brand. What the consumer, you understand me, or what the marketing gets people to tell about the brand becomes the branding. And I always tell people to that point, your brand is not your ideology. Your brand is the impression that you leave on people. Yeah. So when you think about a brand like Doritos, for that matter, how do they, what impression they want to leave on the people? This, they, this brand, these are the chips that you utilize or you consume during a sports show. So their, their advertisements is the, the jock sitting in front of the TV or the family yelling over which team is the favorite team, but you see this bowl mm-hmm. and the chips are inside. So that's the impression. Oh, okay. So right. we're having a party. Even if we're not going to consume these chips, we have to buy them yeah. for our event. Absolutely. And we decorate our event with these bags of chips. That's the impression that they leave on people. So I like to do this four-part methodology. Branding, marketing, advertising, promotion. Mm-hmm. Four different aspects. I'll take a technology example. If Twitter is going to leave a brand impression on people, it's probably... This is the place where you have short-form conversations and get it out there. This is the news platform for everyday person. So that's the brand impression. Like, oh, tweet about it. Tweet about it. The word becomes a verb. Tweet that. What is this tweet concept? Oh, it's where you can just communicate freely. There are no red tapes involved. So that's the impression right. that they leave on people. And you have the, the marketing. Yeah, and the language as well. The communications is across all four of those, those, those letters. And the marketing aspect is a bit different. Because a lot of people mix marketing, advertising, and sales together. Yeah. But it's different. So if I'm a company and I want to market on Twitter, the first thing I'm going to do is go to their marketers. What are the marketing tools that you guys have where we can market? Oh, we have this thing called a promoted tweet. That's our KPI, key performance indicator. Mm -hmm. That's not advertising necessarily. Okay, so we can utilize what's native to this app and market through the tweet. The other step is how do we do that? Okay, in tweets, we normally post them at X time to X amount of people. Okay, so if we're, we're marketing Kit Kats, we're not just going to have a just random communication. We need something, okay, Tweet this kit. So our marketing language is going to be commensurate with how they communicate on Twitter. That's the marketing side. Advertising is a bit more broad. You may drive down the street on, on Melrose and see right. a big Kit, kit Kat billboard. You don't know if it's, it's, it's targeting anything. It's just there. Maybe a very prime spot, but it's just there. That's advertising. Then promotion is the materials that you have, the things that you spoke about earlier mm-hmm. with, with, your, with your brand mechanism. So this, this could be a promotion itself. The way you design the bottle is a promotion within itself. The, the, the bottle promotes the brand. The brand itself could be how you, the gold water. Okay, that's the gold water. Even the, even the term gold, it, it, it communicates opulence. Mm-hmm. But this is a promotion, the way you actually design it. And I think if people understand the difference between those four elements, branding, marketing, advertising, promotion, we call it BMAP internally, yeah. I think they can actually better position themselves to communicate things holistically. Absolutely. That brings me to a point, right? Um, let's say people love to, especially within our community, right? We like to make these revolutionary messages and put them on shirts, political messages, right? 
And so what happens a lot of time is that people focus on the message instead of the design, right? Instead of the, they, they put so much message into it, they put no style into it. You understand me? And I always tell people, no, design first, message second. You understand me? Because people are buying it. When you buy clothes, yeah, some people will buy it because they like the message. But people want something that's a good style. So even if they don't like the message, they will still buy the clothing, right? You're going to increase your customers tenfold just by doing that. Because if I walk into a store and I just want to buy a shirt, I'm not looking for, let me find which shirt has the best message on it. <laughs> which one has the most political message? Because even if you got a great political message, but the design sucks, I'm not buying that because it don't fit my style. And that's why it's not a good brand. Yeah. Because even when you're talking about the branding for that matter, it's going to really be based on the impression it left on people. Absolutely. So let's assume that this is a big message on shirts. When they talk about it, they're not going to say, this, oh, these, this is great message. They're going to say, it's the shirt with the big text on the front of it. Yeah. They have these cool messages. That's the impression. So now we're the brand, the shirt with the big text on the front. Mm -hmm. So it's less about what it say. It's about the fact that it's this shirt. They have these cool like messages and quotes, but it's really big on the front. You know, it's kind of black. It has a split on the side. They're trying to articulate what you should have given to them. Right, right. Yeah, and it's bad design if the customer has, or if it has to be explained, it's bad design. You understand me? The design is the communication that gets people to understand it. It should evoke the feeling. They should understand the brand identity from it. You understand me? And that's another thing. People don't study brand identity. You understand me? To know what type of brand do you have. Do you want a smart brand? Do you want a funny brand? You understand me? Do you want an aspirational brand? Like, what type of branding quality are you going for? Adding all of these elements into it sets you up for success to where you're taking ideas out of your head and you're architecting them into reality. And when a consumer start to consume your product or your service or your ideas or your goals, they can feel it the same way you want them to. Understand me? Like, that's what I try to go for. Like, when you see a crown, the first video I made, I remember, it was with my bro, uh, uh, Jay Short made that video. And they got this, it was like a Rick Ross instrumental in the background. You understand me? Some Maybach music. I got the crown moving all slow. I'm like, no, I want them to feel real boss luxury type elements going on. And I remember the goddamn video was all sensual and stuff. I'm in there like this. You understand me? But I wanted you to, I wanted, because I already knew I wanted to have a high price point, number one. Number two, I wanted to represent luxury, elegance, consciousness. You understand me? Godliness. But a person to buy a shirt that got the devil on it if they like the style. You understand me? It is much harder to sell God to people. It's easier to sell the devil to people. But when it comes to selling God, like, who's going to sell it in that high luxury manner? You understand me? To make it look aspirational. Isn't it God the, the biggest, the most grandest thing that, that we believe in, that we pray to, that we give our lives for? So how come when... Same thing with rap or, or any other thing like in our culture specifically, like we put more branding into negative shit than we do into positive. You understand me? People don't put that kind of branding in trying to sell us water. You understand me? But when it comes to selling liquor, oh, no. Put the sexy woman right next to that. Put that next to the car. Grab every celebrity in the goddamn industry and stand them next to the liquor. If liquor was something that we wanted so much... Why wouldn't, why would we need to market it so much? You understand me? Because number one, it's not something that we need, right? So things that we don't need are heavily marketed because you have to make it someone's need. 
you have to really make them want it so much that when they go out and they're picking their choice and selection of liquor, they feel like they need to have your brand over every other brand because your brand comes with the feeling, comes with the lifestyle. I've seen a sexy girl image embedded into that so much that I think that if I drink this liquor, I'm going to have sex. The woman seeing the sexy image, she thinks she's going to feel sexy, right? So all of that branding is going into it and they're targeting ego and left brains. You understand me? Because they know the programming of the person. So another thing brings me to you, like when it comes to UI, right? User interface. What do what is your process when it comes to uh, um, designing an app? Like, does it do you go into that? Okay, I'm picking this color so that it has this particular psychology evokes. Like, what is that clean aesthetic process, or is it? so much of brilliance that it's not more something you explain, it's something that you just flow through. It's, it's a hybrid because you, you, you touched on a good point. The psychology of color is very important. There are certain colors that it, it invokes different mm -hmm. experiences when a person is utilizing the app. There are some physics involved, so how a person swipes a certain feature, it should make them feel like they're in the real world. There's this concept Explain called that. yeah. So there's this concept called the suspension of disbelief, mm. and the suspension of disbelief. Any really great video game has a suspension of disbelief, and it works exactly how it sounds. You get so immersed inside of a world where it's hard for you to believe that it's not real. Mm. So the, the, the disbelief has been suspended. So now you don't separate yourself from this world. And this is what the goal is in the future for virtual reality, when people put on these headsets or with yeah. contact lens or yeah, whatever yeah, type yeah, of mechanism, yeah, like completely suspend disbelief, where they just don't believe anymore that it's not real. I like to add that inside of design. So I think about it in sections. If someone touched one button, how does the other thing moves over? And if they are anticipating another movement, should we have that as well? So it's this crazy process that I go through. I may touch something on the app with both thumbs and try to break it by tapping it really, really fast. The engineer, Chris, will talk to me and say, no one would ever do that. So as, 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 as an engineer, I would never test the app that way. But I communicate to him how to always think about testing the app in a way that's very abstract because you just really never know what a person would do. Also, I don't like to put limitations on me conscientiously. So I say, okay, although this is not a conventional way to touch this app, I should try it this way because something may sprout out of this. And most often times, like most times it does. It's like, okay, I touched it this way. This feature happened. What if someone actually wanted to swipe right, but then swipe down and dismiss this different page? So it's a little bit of physics, a lot of art, a lot of just really trusting my, trust my gut. Like, okay, this is a decision. This is how this should work. And it's not always correct because you'll, you'll get someone on the platform and say, hey, utilize that. Just go ahead and give me your use case. There are some, some cases where I may think mm. they want to go directly to the search icon where they may choose or uh, select another icon. So I try to eliminate my own biases by, by taking the approach. Okay, if I didn't build this, how would I actually want to utilize it? And it's worked for me over, over, over time. So it's a mixture of, of, of both of those things. Yeah, so that gets me thinking about the human element when it comes to it, right? Like with Apple, they really thought about the human element in design. You understand me? All of the features, the features thought about the psychology of the mind. You understand me? Um, and how we interact with things in the world, right? So designing an app or really designing anything requires empathy, right? A high level of empathy is what I implore, even with design. Let's say if I'm designing a post, right? If you imply it with empathy, empathy allows you to answer the uncommunicated questions. You understand me? Because a lot of times human beings have questions that they don't communicate until they get so aggravated and then they finally state it. We are very passive aggressive people. 
So in that terms, I'm thinking about what are the points where people are unsatisfied, but they're not going to say anything. And how can you automatically put that into the design process to where they feel like you read their mind, right? Increasing the customer service. So let's say if I have a post and it first comes off, it's like subtitles is an empathy design, right? Because people may be on a train, they may be driving in a car, they may be in a place where they don't want a lot of people to hear what they're watching. So you're putting the subtitles on there so that they can watch it in silence, right? Even though you, you know, it's, a, it's something that's supposed to be an audio experience, but you're designing with empathy. Or you put something at the top of it, like newspapers, they put dates, they put subject. This is all designed with empathy. You understand me? People might want to know when this was made. People might want to know what the subject is before they watch the whole video, right? Or putting a clip in front of the content before they watch the whole thing. There's a three-second clip of something that's actually in this long-form content. Now, this is the best part of it. So you watch this, and it's going to get you to the rest of it. So now you don't have to watch the whole content to get the best part. I want to put that in front as a preview, right? Like, so when you start to design with those elements, you're thinking with the human being in mind. So when you talk to me about even those design elements of pressing all of the buttons, that automatically goes to, okay, that's what child does, right? A child will pick up your phone and start playing with the app, so now they're not going to break it. So that's not what a full-grown human being would do, but most people have children. <laughs> so it does make sense to test it in that battleground. But then at the same time, when you're thinking about the design process, does a person swipe left? Do we move this way? Do we move this? You're really going into the process of human nature. And there's a word for it I'm trying to think of. I forget. It actually talks about this whole design process of, of building with the empathy of the human in mind. If I catch it before this is over, I'll bring it back up. So are you speaking of science of anthropology? Not anthropology. It's another one. Um, it's definitely going to come up before I leave. It's at the tip of my brain. It's not coming outward. Is it Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs? No, 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 no. You know, yeah, that's a different that's a different subject entirely as far as, you know, actualization. But, um, I mean, even that is, you know, part of the empathy model of, of building up from the basic needs into the luxury needs. You yes. understand me? Um, but... It's more so just thinking upon how can we improve things with design, right? Improve things with the human in mind. It's like if you walk into a house hospital, how could that hospital be better designed? You understand me? If you walk outside, you look at the parking meters, you look at everything in our society can be improved. Its effectiveness and its efficiency can be improved by design, but design is not always employed in everything. If you look at police officers, you can design that altercation to decrease the, you can design a protocol to decrease the altercation, the amounts that get to a high level of violence. You can apply design in every aspect of the world, and you can control the circumstances and the outcome. So when you think about creating your brand, if you think about design, you're thinking with the end in mind already. And if you do a good job at it, then it will go the way you want it to. And I, I also support, I support that. I also, uh, design is this very broad aspect but when you think about it narrowly, something like a user interface, it's really best to utilize a lot of real estate. Mm. Real estate and how the aesthetics look, I mean, it just have it, and what real estate means is just a, a, a proportionate amount of space in between different shapes. Yeah. Also, real estate of possibilities, that's two different elements. So how would I design this where I leave it open for creators? 
Because a lot of times when you see apps, creators would do things with apps that you didn't imagine. So it's okay, I don't want it to be a completely blank canvas, but I want it to be a blank enough canvas to allow people to create on top of this mm. creation. And that has to be shown in the design as well. So a lot of times people would think great design is them getting all of your ideas inside of the application. Right. But it's actually the opposite. It's a, how minimally can I design this application, this interface, where it leaves open possibility and it sparks curiosity for people. Because if they don't see too much, they're going to become more curious because of the white, the, the, the white space. So, so, so you just see. brought up a thought for me. Curiosity gaps, right? I believe in curiosity gaps 100%, right? I think I built my brand off curiosity gaps, knowing something about it, but not all of it, making you curious to interface with the rest of it, right? And that is a big, big thing if a person learns how to apply it in the right way. It's the reason that we watch those fake videos about pranks. We don't know if they're true or not, but we got to watch, got to see. You gave me enough. It's a curiosity gap. Is this set up? Is this stage? I don't know. But you go watch them videos. They have millions of views because we don't know. And human beings are curious as hell. So the curiosity gap forces you to go into and investigate, right? And so with branding, if you can create curiosity gaps, people will investigate. They'll be attracted to it. My brand started off with a curiosity gap. You see the crown. This beautiful aesthetic, talking this high level knowledge, who the hell is he? You understand me? Typically, we don't see the black brother Muslims with the beards and stuff. What the hell going on? It's a curiosity gap. I got to investigate more. Whether you like it or don't like it, you're thinking about it now, right? It's, it's enthralling. It's bringing you in. When you can capture the essence of curiosity in a human being, you qualify them to become your customer. You're training them to think about you. And that's what marketing is, getting people to think about you. And that goes into the attractiveness of it. There was a study, and I bring this up all the time because I think it's just, I think it's marvelous when you really apply this. The study was about how there's a classroom, and they put in these actors in these classrooms, and they made sure that the people had to take more classes with the actors than any other students. Then they gave them a test, and the test was, hey, I need you to rate attractiveness. And the actors were the ones who were always rated the more attractive. And what they found out is the more frequent you see something, the more attracted you are to it because it's building up more real estate in your head, right? So you don't even realize that that's why they say it's no such thing as bad publicity because if there's a book that you knew nothing about and it got bad publicity, it's going to increase the sales because when person go to shop, they're now putting it as an option of choice to buy when they go select. So when you think of things in that manner and you add that into your branding style, you, you understand that you don't always need to be selling, but you always need to be branding. You understand me? Because branding is adding to the choice selection that people make. And the more a person has landscape on thinking about you, the greater opportunity it will be that they will buy your book other than somebody else's. Your product over somebody else's. I've seen your product more. I bought it. You understand me? I have more information about it. You understand me? I had to think about it so many times. I had to stop my... I had to... A lot of times you had to talk yourself out of buying it. You understand me? Because you had to find reasons, well, why wouldn't I buy it? You understand me? They already told me it's a good product for me. So now I got to say, well, maybe I don't have the money right now. Or maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe I don't want to go through the process. So the more you show it, the higher chance it is that it increases the frequency you understand me? And that becomes a behavior that a person at one point in time is going to select. That brings to mind two things for me. One, there's this concept by Charlie Munger. He said, 
bias due to consistency and commitment tendency. Once humans become committed to something, they have to be consistent with that commitment, even if it's not ideal for them. Mm. That's one of the cognitive biases. So there are big studies on like over 172 cognitive biases, how marketers utilize these different elements to build the brand. It's also this, I've seen this scene in the movie, I don't remember the movie exactly, it was about this restaurateur. And the restaurateur said, I want people to come to my restaurant because they don't want to eat. Mm. So the thing I thought about was the Apple store. Like people go to the Apple store even if they've already purchased all of the Apple products inside of the store. That's because it's always the anticipation of a new experience in the Apple store. That's a fact. There are going to be people there. The wood looks a certain way. They're going to actually utilize the devices that they already have at home. They have the new iPad. They have the new Apple phone. But they have to go to the Apple store and experience it. That's so when you have restaurants where people go to the restaurant, why are we going to this specific restaurant? I don't know. You know, it's just the, the feeling. That's how people respond. It's the feeling. It's like when they serve better food across the street. I get that, but this one feels better. Yeah. And that's how you want people to be that irrational about your brain. Yeah. No, human beings are driven by feeling. It's completely true. You understand me? The experience model is like, if you're always selling, then a person feels like I'm only going there when I want to be sold. So I'm not going to go there because I don't feel like buying nothing. That's why I don't like menus. Yeah. I don't want to go and have to read something. I was thinking about it when I was well, guess about, I mean, we got barcodes now, so yeah, you don't worry yeah. about that. And that's, that, that <laughs> the world in, heard you. That ushers, that ushers in a new, a, new, a new opportunity for Yummy because we want to have a Yummy menu yeah. inside of the app whereby yeah. we not only have this new food that people can experience based on what people are tasting in proximity to this restaurant, we've, are, we, we've changed the way that their menu is displayed. Why can't I go inside of a restaurant and simply pull out my camera and not only get the barcode and the information to me, this really nice, elegant display of the food, how I see pictures on Instagram. And I can, it can help me make my decision because we have to see things visually as humans. Now, obviously, there are individuals that have visual impairment or, or they're, they're, they're blind. But for the most part, how we connect with things is based on actually seeing them. Mm-hmm. And this is the way I actually want to change the menu. And as you, as you mentioned before, de- designing with this inclusivity in mind. So for the individuals that are blind, what are the type of experiences we can have if they can't see the menu where they can experience it? Maybe it's through smell. Mm. So maybe, maybe there's a mechanism inside of the app whereby we scan it. On one end of the spectrum, people are seeing these new images, but based on this scan, it sends a signal to the restaurant in real time because they have a version of the app that connects. And they, how, we te- how we test out cologne and test out different perfumes they, these individuals should be able to smell this. Like, okay, this is the new smell for this is the smell of the day, and this is this particular dish that we have based on this smell. What do you think about it? So I think everyone can have a new experience, especially in what we call the technology age now. And I just love the opportunities that we have yeah. because the design experience there is just off. I hate to go to the restaurants and look at these menus. I don't like it at all. My uh, wife, did, she do the work for me. Say, I know what my husband's going to have. It's less of me not wanting to make a decision, and it's more so it's just not a great experience for me. Right. That 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 brings me to you know, restaurants utilize smell. Right. McDonald's, that outside smell that's artificial. They put that in 100%. the air so Same you can smell it. Bakeries. They spray the, they put the smell out there so you smell the sweet aroma and you want to go try it because they say the the one activity that naturally utilizes all our senses is sex. Sure. So if you can clone your marketing to where you can try to get a person to utilize all their senses, you have a product that people will love with. It becomes orgasmic. <laughs> you understand me? So that's what you try to do. Is this something that invokes smell? Something that invokes eyes, sight? visual, hearing, taste, you understand me? If you can get the full human experience, then you got a good product, you understand me? So that makes sense. And then, of course, we're going to a spatial reality world where 
we will like let's say these glasses are already virtual reality glasses you understand me now i walk in there and i see a menu and all of a sudden instead of me just clicking on a barcode looking at my phone because the experience of the restaurant is terrible right now i hate having to do that i hate going there and having to order on my phone put my card in my phone at some restaurants it completely kills the experience you want a luxury dining experience when you get in there like restaurants during the last uh, recession they went up because people wanted to buy into experiences and people wanted to share those experiences it was a social place that people can go to you go there and eat and you share it on social media so restaurants went up but then this pandemic restaurants closed all the way down then when they opened back up they closed down they opened back up with limitations so the restaurant industry is due for massive shifts in experience because the restaurant industry is nothing but experience. That's all they sell. The food is okay. It's the experience that you go back for. You understand me? Especially when you're talking about high-end five-star restaurants. They're talking about they charging $100 for a little steak and some fries. You understand me? You go to that, if you order that same restaurant or Uber Eats, it don't taste the same. It's the experience that made it taste better. You understand me? You posting it up. You getting dressed. You getting nice. You got your fine. You know what I'm saying? You feeling good. Now you ain't got a waiter to call you sir. You understand me? The Uber driver drop it off and run down the block. You understand me? The experience is completely gone. In a plastic bag. That you pulling out. You, ain't no bread coming to the table. Nothing. <laughs> so the experience is gone. And now the the product has been stripped down to its minimum viability. It's just it's just the food. It's like, nah, we can cook it here. That becomes the thought. Like, the business no longer becomes a necessity, especially when you take away the luxury. So if you can build in the experience model with everything that you do and utilizing technology and, like, your design capabilities with the app, it allows you to build that back in to where now a person can put the value back into the transaction. That's true. And in the restaurant business itself, the food and beverage industry in general, you mentioned the bakery industry, which is a part of sweets, which is why we have this five-star taste experience. We mm. say it's food, drinks, sweets, snacks, and cannabis. Anything mm. that you can consume, we want to create a platform where you can talk about it. And that's what the Yummy app is about. We believe that the Yummy app is going to be an online and offline experience. So when you go inside of the app, granted, you can connect with other people and see these taste reactions. Okay. I've never, I never. I would have never known that that 19 Keys can do a taste reaction to Goldwater. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally sitting there watching you not only consume the Goldwater, talk about it. Yeah. 60 seconds of, of fame about your product, the Goldwater. Now, how can we take that experience? When I go to a restaurant, I'm going to say, hey, it looks as if 19 Keys is in close proximity in L.A. I'm in this restaurant here. I can see that he's close by. Do you guys sell the Goldwater? The answer shouldn't be no. But if it's no, then it's okay. Let me connect you with 19 Keys inside of this app, and maybe Goldwater can be offered inside of this restaurant, specifically with this bottle. And the restaurant industry, the food industry in general, is saturated. So when we think about yummy food, drinks, sweets, snacks, and cannabis, it may seem like a niche. But if you think about the food and beverage industry, it's a trillion-dollar market. Mm-hmm. The sweets industry, multi-billion-dollar market. Cannabis industry, multi-billion-dollar market. We want to create one ecosystem what we call the taste economy, where you can get all of those experiences inside of one app based on the communication. So you thought of someone, you said taste economy, right? Language. Language is extremely important when it comes to the process of everything, right? And all your design, you create your own language for everything that you use, right? Language creates, court, creates culture, right? 
when you utilize a language, that language is used specifically for this culture to describe this thing. So it automatically puts your brain in a direction towards your brand or your product or your idea, right? I'm big on language. I, I use specific language when I speak all the time and I program my brain to only utilize specific asset language, things that are actually good for me, attracting language, work language. So how do you go about your, pro or why do you go about your process of utilizing specific language and context to your products and your brands? Two reasons. One, just from a strategic perspective, it's easy for people to know us for that specific thing, even if other individuals copy it, because there's a, there's a, a language that's connected to it that people recognize it with. So when you hear something like streaming, these terms that we utilize all the time, or movie streaming platform or streaming on all platforms, people in society like to connect things to phraseologies, they like to connect things to concepts, they like to connect things to certain levels of vernacular. So it's very important from a marketing perspective to not only create a new vernacular, not too far from the lexicon, right. but a vernacular that's specific and that explains the product. So if they hear this specific language, they'll say, okay, that resonates, or that's what Yummy actually did. Someone in the, in the market that copies, oh, that's like Yummy. Mm -hmm. So even when Snapchat got copied by Instagram with stories, they were even calling it in Instagram Snap Stories. Mm. Snap Stories. So that's a fact. Al although it may place a dent, a very small dent yeah, in Snapchat. They, they became IG Stories fast. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Snap, but people remember that that's what Snap hired me. Yeah. Snap could have done a better job with kind of it's disrupting It's funny, you themselves. actually just reminded me that's what Snap pioneered, but yeah. you're right, I remember when that first it happened. Was like, so Snap could have done a better job with the, the business development team actually disrupting themselves so they wouldn't have taken a big hit from Instagram. But the reality of it is it's shown that once you pioneer a specific language, not just the experience, but the language that matches the, the, match the experience, you can definitely have a new economy built outside of that. Yeah. yeah. You so taste and economy together that's taste comedy. Yeah. That's what we pioneer. You think about the, the hospitality industry, like what, what Airbnb calls themselves a hospitality network service, mm. or Uber and Lyft call themselves transportation network service, a TNS. And then the other part, because I said first of it is just strategic, the other part is just based on his, the history. I looked, I, I did a journey, I did an intellectual journey. I said, hey, what is this thing about America? America is built on marketing. I was watching an interview with 50 Cent. He said, America makes people, not products. But it's the same country that have you debating if Sylvester Stallone is better than Floyd Mayweather in boxing because he was Rocky, and he's not even a boxer. Yeah. Floyd Mayweather is the real boxer, yeah. but this is what America makes. Yeah. So I, I went deeper. I said, okay, what's this other thing about America? The first ever, or the number one. The first Michael ever. Jordan, the first ever black billionaire to Oprah. The first ever black. I said, that's interesting. Or the number one. Apple is the number one company in X sales, and this company is the number one technology company as far as global reach. So I said, interesting. Even if we're small, how do we create a new category and carve out a niche where we can build that category? Absolutely. So what's the taste economy? You probably have never heard of the taste economy, but we pioneered it. So it could be yummy, the first of its kind taste economy platform. So I took those different elements. One, strategically, we just wanted to ensure that we had a specific language for our brand. And the other part was just historically. That's based on how the co this country already accepts things. And there's another phrase from my buddy Tristan Walker. He said, Global culture is driven by American culture, and American culture is driven by black culture. So by virtue of black culture, one runs the world. So if people culturally are accustomed to this whole concept of, oh, that person's the number one, or that is first, or this is the biggest ever, and they're accustomed to having a specific language with a brand, you mix those two together, and then you can have something truly remarkable. No, that's 100%. That's 100%. 
remind me of myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are one. The, the, the thought process of how you go towards things, right? And you had me thinking, yes, so in language, right? When you can properly apply language to your brand, you create a culture, right? Unless you said that extends outward to your ability to create economy within that self-sustaining culture. And then there's this book, 21 Immutable Laws of Marketing, that speaks upon the number one theory, right? Or, you know, becoming the leading person and all of these different things. It is carving out your niche, right? And that's what I spoke about earlier is creating that real estate in someone's mind. That once it becomes true in that mind, someone else can't become true for that same position, right? So when you think about what's the top most prestigious school in the world, what do you think about? Or in the U.S. Harvard, specifically? Oxford, Harvard, right? And in that order, right? Harvard was first, Oxford was second, right? So when you think about becoming the first at something, and then you're talking about, you know, who has the most endowment, of course, that's going to be Harvard. You understand me? Who's making the most money? That's Harvard. Because you also become the leading in sales. Very little and to do with the educational industry. Very little. You understand me? And the second... Oxford, they're the second leading in sales. And it's the same thing with industries of all over. So when you can carve out your specific niche, think about what's true that you can use. Do not try to utilize falsities that you cannot come up with. Like, doesn't match the design and the actuality of your brand. It's certain brands that cannot do certain things because they're not true for that brand. It doesn't mesh well. So for me, that's why I never boggled my brand down to a specific title and a specific thing. Because then when you try to branch out, they say, uh, you don't, it's like you don't want um, high C to make cars. You understand me? Like, y'all make orange juice. Stick to orange juice. I don't trust your car. They could have the best car manufacturing facility in the world. It's the reason we didn't want Johnson & Johnson making a vaccine. It's like, nigga, y'all couldn't even get the talcum powder right. Y'all think I'm about to give y'all a fast-track vaccine, an untested, experimental, and it's going to go in my veins? No, I would rather have Apple make the vaccine because they have a brand to where they're trusted, they're efficient, they're innovative, and you trust them to get things fast, right? Or at least, you know, high level, rather. But your type of branding allows you to build your brand for expansion and what the customer will accept from you. Right. So you have to be careful. Otherwise, you just have to build a whole nother brand, which may even be better to do a fresh start because you're starting off with honesty with the customer. They, are, they, they don't have a reason to distrust you yet. You already started off as a vaccine company. And this brings to mind us extending what we call the five star taste experience. The five star taste experience, again, of food, drinks, sweets, snacks and cannabis. You have taste in basketball. You have taste in clothing. You have taste in beauty. So we believe that it will go from the five-star taste experience to the 10-star taste experience yeah. and the 20-star taste experience all the way to the 100-star taste experience. So the future of Yummy is goes beyond consumption. Okay, what's your, what's your experience of music? Okay, that's Yummy music, Yummy films. You can imagine a world where people are on Yummy talking about their taste in everything. Yeah. And that's the whole concept of what you're saying, leaving that real estate so that people can expound on, on top yes. of the actual brand. Yes. It doesn't mean that we are thinking of every single idea or we're going to build it. But it's enough real estate so the community itself can actually build upon what we've are actually already built. And that's the creative minds working together, creative collaboration. Yeah, 100%. So I think that's good on, on the branding. And I can't wait for them to see. Um, I want you to get with my bro, Mechie, and y'all shoot a commercial for that. 
Well, I know you already got a commercial for some of it, but the commercial, the way I see it, is the same way you showed me. Start off where um, you're talking about the app, you're excited. Somebody else like, bro, no, you got to see Durant app. You understand me? It's the same experience, right? And then you go in to pull up your phone, and then that's when the app actually starts. And then afterwards, they're like, yo, that's crazy. It's, 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 a, pitch app. it's a pitch commercial, essentially, but... Family, y'all gotta see his app. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Like it's it's wild. It's bananas. Me uh, brings me to a different kind of point of the conversation. Um, I want to talk about, you know, uh, what are some creative business strategies that you think people should focus on, um, two thousand twenty one and beyond. You know, I'm really big on tech investments. Mm-hmm. I think technology is going to be the catalyst for moving our community forward. Whether we're building the technology ourselves or we're investing in this technology as well. So, I, again, like I said before, I have this, this 80-20 rule, really 70-30, either way you want to actually view it. And that's 70% of my time is based on technology. And that's building it, building out the infrastructure. We call it technical infrastructure and software architecture, TISA, the TISA methodology. 10% of my time is on my personal assets. That's if I'm investing into the stock market, if I'm investing into real estate. The other 10% is, is invested in my family office. Like, how do I utilize these assets or these returns to build out infrastructure for generations to come? And the last 10% is just some random ideas. I think there should be a methodological or methodological <laughs> tongue twister, strategy to how a person actually divests their interests. Mm. Now, a lot of times when people think about investments, because it's not something that's immediate, they become like, very afraid to make these like, risky decisions. And I think that's going to shift over time because once the confidence is increased inside of our community, then we can have people make more audacious decisions as far as investment is concerned. And I just base it really on like 10-year increments. I say, okay, if I invest in this, I'm not going to see a return for 10 years. That may not be true. Keys, I may see a return in six months. Right. But if I'm thinking 10 years, 10-year increments every single time, it, it allows me to stay ahead of the curve from an innovative perspective. And other societies think like this. I mean, think about China for that matter. They think in 100-year increments. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to be alive. Imagine that you and I are working on something or you're working on Goldwater and the best form of the idea, you're already telling yourself you're not going to see it. It's like, oh, this version of, of Goldwater is to be 100 years from now. Yeah. I'll probably be here for another 70 or I'll probably be here for another 80 years, but I won't see like what I'm working on today because it will be 100 years from now. Right. That just, that places you in a totally different dynamic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're also the one who shaped culture itself once you do that. I think people think about the future as like predetermined reality. You understand me? No. Like you have the ability to actually shape it by planning ahead. In African psychology, uh, it was noted by, I believe his name was Noble L. Wade. He wrote a book and it was about, you know, um, black psychology. And it specifically talked about, number one, how when Europeans went over to Africa and they seen that we was involved in spirituality and things of that nature, which involved not only just the psyche, but our spirits. They did. They felt anything that was immeasurable wasn't real. So they said that, no, we're just going to study the mind, psyche and uh, ology, right? Study of, Greek word, brought it together. They said we're going to study psychology, right? And in that studying of it, we started to think about everything in the way that Caucasians measured things, right? But we didn't adapt to measuring our spirit at the same time. Spirituality for us is a very 
steeped in the present reality. Like when a person meditating, they're trying to become present as possible, right? Spirituality is enjoying the moment. That's why we like to have fun. We like to dance. We like to, to rap and express ourselves. Spiritual is expression, expressive. So when I think about planning, planning is not a spiritual thing, right? Like I talked about it, we're talking about not just spatial control. You're talking about controlling time. You understand me? So when you're planning, you're planning outward to control time of head. And so when a people comes around another people who are present and they start planning for the next 10 years, not only do they do that, they give you a clock, they give you a calendar, they give you your time, they give you your box and your frame to measure and circulate everything in your reality is now within these increments of 60 seconds, 60 minutes, you understand me, uh, 30 days, uh, uh, 365 days. Like all of a sudden, you've been given this 1260 frequency, 12 months, 60 seconds, 60 minutes. And that's what you live your life on. So, but you start to realize like these people gave you the seconds, minutes, and hours so that they can control it, right? So the Caucasian or the European, rather, their institution of controlling time where they plan 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 230, uh, uh, 300 years outward, the Constitution was. Uh, an institution to control the minds of people. You understand me? To where they didn't have to use physical control. You were contracted and binded just by being under the governance of our land. And our families came together to make sure they controlled that. And black people being so present, we don't have too many words in the African diaspora for near future. Right? That wasn't something we thought about as far as the way we move. English is a present tense language. You understand me? Or a future tense language. And there was an economic study that was done for languages that were present tense, that had FTR, future tense reward, and present tense reward. And it found out it's like if I'm speaking on the future, a lot of times we lean forward because the arrow of time is forward because of our language. In another language, you can go to a different culture, a different place. They may think of the past as backwards. You understand me? Or behind us. So they may lean backwards when they speak. But I bring up all of that because in a high-level conversation, we like to go all over. We like, to, we like to explore. You understand me? But the point is that the fact that being such a present people, we never was a good-ass planning people. And those who plan control the destination. If you hop in a car with somebody, you don't know where you want to go, whoever comes up with the plan controls the destination. You understand me? So as a people, we have to become better planners so we can control our future which is why I've been modeling all of my teachings towards this 2053 wealth plan. What are we going to be doing for the next 30 years? You understand me? So where we have a blueprint and all our decisions are not based on today and we have a mental myopia to where we can only see short-sighted. No, we have no mental myopia. Everything we plan is moving all the way out towards the future. So it just brings me to that thought process that we always need to focus on. How do we plan ahead? against those that plan against us. Yeah, and I, I actually agree with that. That's why I said the 10-year increments. I always think in 10-year increments. Okay, yeah. How is this going to be, or how is this going to look in the next 10 years? And then how do we, how, I take the 10-year increments to thinking about 100 years? And it's, 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 it's challenging for a lot of our people. We suffer from post-traumatic slavery syndrome or post-traumatic slavery disorder, where we're thinking in very short increments. And, and you mentioned some references as far as the marketing. What do they say to us? Oh, you can get a record deal at 17. Mm -hmm. You can go to the NBA at 18 yeah. years old. And we put, we put all of our equity, all right. of our like, intellectual equity, right. our physical equity, all of this into 
this whole concept of making it now. How do we make it now? The other thing that is a re really big downfall, I think we're, we're moving away from this suffering, is the fact that we think we have to be the only one there. So this big industry, we hear trillions of dollars, but no, 19 Keys cannot sit here with me. It has to right. just be Scarcity me. Mindset. And, and it's, it's, it's insane because I'm not going to be able to capture all of that value, even if I get what I believe to be the highest value. And it's just, it's enough for everybody. And, and, and here's the other part about it. It's not really real. It's, it's conceptual. Not, I mean, look, at Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are having a fake competition of being the, the richest man in the world, right? But it's so much. There's a lot of richest men in the world. Number one, they're still not the richest. That's just the numbers we give in. There's wealth that can't be measured. Then at the same time, when you start talking $100 billion, that's not physical cash equivalent to the digit. These are just ideas that they can leverage and utilize. But at the end of the day, yeah, the scarcity mindset, it kills us each and every time. When we think it's not enough. I know this abundance. I know that shit. You can have $100 billion and there's still another $100 billion out there. You can be a trillionaire. Guess what? It's another trillion out there. Because what we're just talking about is, is there energy? There's an infinite amount of energy. Energy will never die. There's an infinite supply of energy. If, if I got all the money in the world, pay me in gold then. Oh, somebody got all the gold? Pay me in land then. You got all the land? Pay me in crypto. Pay me in an NFT. Pay me in art. Like, there will always be something of value to exchange for other things of value. It's the human barter system. We've always found a way to trade things for value. Isn't it interesting how you think about this ecosystem where if you can go above it all, there's this circular e ecosystem all of us humans sit in. And as much as we, we, we're trying to climb the mountain, I always call it the mountain climbing. You can see this illustrated in Los Angeles. They place these nice homes in the mountains. So when you're driving, you're looking. It's all right. this aspirational. I have to right. get there. Right. I, I see civilization the same way. It's this one circular ecosystem, and everything we believe that we want, it never leaves this ecosystem. Mm. So if someone holds $10 billion, or someone holds the number one company in the world, someone holds the most beautiful wife or the most handsome husband, it's all in this circular ecosystem. And it's trade-off, constant commerce, constant commerce. Okay, so I'm going to hold this spot on Forbes. We don't go outside of this little circular ecosystem. We sit inside of here. Right. And when you can bring yourself conceptually above it all, you understand it's just a game. Yeah. It's, a game it's, it's all designed, too. Yes. Like... Here's a crazy thing, right? You take Durant Davis, you put him on the front of Forbes, and they said, this is the man to know. This is the man to watch. You take the accomplishments that people already know about you, and you make an article about it. All of a sudden, they just became way more important now. You understand me? Something that somebody already knew about you, seeing it in print, is putting it in lights. And all of a sudden, damn, Durant, you made it. It's like... What? I've been made it before Forbes publication, which was started by a fucking human being, said I made it. Why? It's because when you design things, you design, especially when you grow up in a paradigm, we have certain things that we think are important, right? Certain things that are validators of information. It's you understand me? This is, this is the verification process. Everybody wants a blue check. So when you blue check something, that same person that was just spitting out that information giving you the game, uh, 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 going upon that journey in front of you, all of a sudden, they're now more important because the status symbols, right? And this is why I believe that our people, until now, I mm -hmm. always speak about like the success our people are having now. We haven't really been great at playing the design game. No, That's the thing we haven't no. talked about. And it's because we, we don't think of this stuff as being that significant. We, we say, don't design our own world. Yes, we say we're so great at this. On the other side, though, we're so great at this, 
Why do I have to systematize this? I don't need to make something to subsystem for this. I don't need to think about selling it because I can do it tomorrow. This guy just changed his engine and never went to school for mechanical engineering. Oh, I can fix another engine tomorrow. But now that we're shifting, knowing that there's a game being played and we're playing it with less than half the pieces, we're starting to understand. Yeah, like, now okay, we understand we're that. Starting, okay, yeah. there's, there are mechanisms to this. Now, granted, I can exert my creativity, my creative muse on the world, but I also need to get these mechanisms together because now I'm not going to allow my creative muse to be maximized by a group of people where the residual effects are not coming back to the group of people I'm a part of. So now... I want to give you my creative muse and also my creative mechanisms. So both CMs. I need my creative muse. Here are the creative mechanism and the tools that's created connected to that. But it's so interesting because the only reason we don't think about it that way is we're never thinking about selling because everything is so easy for us. But we have to shift that now because it's a yeah. game being played. We have to be intentional. We have to be designers. You understand me? Once we learn how to design the world, we control the world. If design controls what you think, see, do, the way you interact and react to things then the moment that you become the designer of your world, you become the ruler and the controller. If I want you to think a certain way, I want you to do, interact with the world a certain way, I'm going to design everything a certain way towards how my mind is. We live inside the mind of the white man. White patriarchal intellect rules our entire world, right? From And that's a system. That's a complete system. Right. That's a that's, a, that's a system. It's, it's institutions, governments, nations. That's what comprises of a world, the habits, the views, the perspectives, the ideas. We live in a world of competing ideas. You understand me? Men go to war so their ideas can win out. You're talking about uh, 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 democracies, you understand me, versus socialism, you understand me, versus some other crap. And that's all it is, is men and their ideas. So it's very dangerous when you become the type of man or woman that can spread an idea, right? And that's what we do in marketing. That's what we do in everything. But some ideas are more dangerous because they shift culture. They change the way that people go outside and interact with the world. They, they change what people will put up with. When you see a police officer, you might put up the middle finger if you have somebody like the Black Panther spreading an idea that you should be fearless, that these people are supposed to work for you. Right. That the system should not be designed as the way it is and that we should go in there, redesign it or rip it apart. It's the model of people's looking at the police and saying that, no, let's defund the police because we want to redesign the system. So it's the most dangerous thing when you can activate the people to move in a certain direction according to a better design that are good for the people, because a better design can be qualified whether this design that they got currently is good as hell. You understand me? But when we're talking about a more moral design that is not good for just one set of people, but that is good for all people, then that's different. And now our people being 84 years behind wealth, having a 2053 statistic or study that's talking about 0% wealth, which is a, a marketing propaganda in the mind of our people to already project a vision of poverty. So that's why I say, no, it's a 2053 wealth plan. This is how many assets we're going to have proportionate to the population of America, right? And if we are a, let's say if we're 19% of America, then we should represent 19% of the wealth. You understand me? But at the same time, I say, let's not design our plan to catch up. Let's design our plan to be ahead. You understand me? Because it's the same thing when you have a goal. If I want $5 million this year, I'm not going to plan for $5 million. I'm going to plan for 10 So even if I don't hit my target, I still land in the middle. 
So if we want to catch up to every other subset of people, we can't go for equality. We have to go for more equity than everybody else. You understand me? We need way more of the deal. We don't need our equal share. We need more because the suburbs was created, given by the government to white folks so that they can actually own real estate while they stopped us from owning it. So they already been given a head start. So you're telling me y'all now want to figure out how y'all can give us an equal amount of people who already have the same? That's like I'm in a race. You started five laps ahead, and they saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. We, my bad for starting this five laps ahead. It's not that I'm going to let y'all catch up. But what I'll do, though, is on the next – or, or we're going to stop, and we're going to let y'all stand next to each other and start running. And then we're going to shoot it from there. So now y'all standing in an equal position next to each other. But you still already have five laps of equity in this race. You understand me? So I'm still behind regardless, no matter how fast I run. No matter uh, uh, the optics of it looking like we equal, I'm still behind. So my plan is to, to say that we, if we a household of 17000 on the average per year and they 171000 then what's our goal? Shit, it, it, it needs to be 400000 I don't want it to just be 171 because I already know that they're going to continue to have growth, right? So now we need to think about, all right, what assets do we need to own? Not just now, but what assets will be valuable in the future, right? So for me, I give people a future asset plan, right? Because I don't want you to just own what's here now. That's going to give you the ability to buy the assets. But what's going to have exponential growth? And if we can get our people to understand that and they can start designing the way they interface with the world and their opportunities, they can design their spending plan towards things. Like we don't need a savings plan. We can't save ourselves to, to wealth. We're going to save ourselves by investing and spending in the right direction and building our energy. And spending can be building if it's going towards funding the things that we actually need. So that's what I focus on in the black world order is how do we build, buy, sustain, and protect our own world. And that's also building wealth opportunities. Absolutely. So, people, this 19 Keys, this was a high-level conversation with my good brother, Durant Davis. Before I get out of here, I want to share something with y'all. My brother has started an app. This app is not a regular app, multiple apps, actually. You understand me? He's a technological wizard when it comes to it. He's the Steve Jobs of design. You understand me? Better than Steve Jobs. I'm only using him as a reference because y'all like to have white men as your reference to reference black genius. I get it. You understand me? Better than bruh, bruh. But to this point... My prediction is that this brother does $100 million plus on his app. You understand me? This, this, and, and, and I don't, y'all never hear me do stuff like this, but I'm only saying it because I only bring people on here that I believe in. I know a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people, and I don't discuss them and bring them to the audience. Definitely don't bring them to the BWO vault. You understand me? So our brother's going to help us do some amazing things, and I want y'all to believe in him the same way I do, but y'all don't have to believe me. I'm sure my brother will get the opportunity to where y'all can interact with what he has going on. And if you get that opportunity, he said he has a goal to make 1,000 millionaires in our community. And if you just be so lucky to believe in yourself, no, sir. If you just believe in yourself, you may be one of those 1,000. Because I'm definitely putting in my paper. So, brother, I appreciate you being here. Can you tell the people where you can find you? Yeah, so I don't do much on social media, but I do have an Instagram at Corp Davis, at Corp, C-O-R-P Davis, at Corp Davis, my Instagram. 
I'm on LinkedIn, DuranDavis.com, D-U-R-A-N-D, DuranDavis.com. It redirects to my, my LinkedIn. And I have a Twitter as well, at Corporate Davis. So corporate, like corporate America, at Corporate Davis is my Twitter, at Corporate Davis is my Instagram. What's your email? Duran, my email, Duran at LavLabs.com. So that's Duran at L-A-V, L-A-B-S dot com, Lab Labs. And that's the name of our tech company, Lab Labs. Short for lavish and labs put together, Lab Labs. So Duran at LabLabs.com is, is my email. I want to thank my brother, 19 Keys. I mean, my brother is advocating for our community fearlessly. We're talking fearlessly. He's not hiding behind some, some curtain doing this. And what he's doing with the Black World Order, the BWO, I support them holistically. This is not something where I have to support him. He has to support me. We're one. We're doing this together. So even if you're not seeing me around him when he's doing something, you don't see him around me when I'm doing something, our system is connected. Because that's what we're talking about, design. So we wanted to design a system where it's all interchangeable. And that's what we want to move forward with. And we have to get to the point where you, we don't have to tell you all we're not selling. Like you, you should actually want us to sell something to you because you're already willing to buy from us as a community. And we're getting there. I don't speak in the terms of the past. Like we're in a very awesome place as our community, as far as our community is concerned. This is why I'm here doing this with my brother. I never thought that I would want to do interviews. I never thought that I would want like exposure because I sit behind the scenes. But our people has to hear about this. I'm very serious about making these thousand millionaires. And he said something that was off because he said he was one of those thousand millionaires. I want I want him to be one of those ten billionaires. Oh, no, in I'm addition, just, just, yeah, just from, in just addition from that to one investment. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about. Look, 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 look. <laughs> that's a, that I, was one I investment. I want to slide that in there. Like I want you yeah. to be one of those ten billionaires. No, I, I thought about there. that. Yeah. All. So I was saying just from the, the one invest, the one time investment, yeah. just just on a quick belief, yeah. right? But then at the same time, it ain't just gonna be just a financial investment. I'm going to make sure that I actually help my brother understand me during this process. And that's process. the thing that people like to, they need to understand because you can invest in a company today, tomorrow. That's not what it's about. You're investing you into the company, mm -hmm. sharing this content, posting about it. People seeing that you're advocating for this platform is inspiring that belief. Like, okay, this guy really believes in Duran. Mm -hmm. And then you see the other people from our community in different areas. These people believe in Duran as well because a lot of these individuals win not based on their creativity. We bring the creativity to the platforms. Netflix and chill, black people. Do it for the vine, black people. They win because so many of their people support them. Whether it's through an article, whether it's through a share of a, a particular app, whether it's through an avocation. Like, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. If their people is around them and supporting them, when they fall, they're there to, to lift them. Absolutely. I hear about the Airbnb story. These guys couldn't get an investment at all. How did they get the investment? And, and Brian Chesky, he tells the story of line. We took these, this cereal when Obama was, was, he was the candidate at the time. And we called it Obama O's. They sold at least $40,000 worth of Obama O's. And that capital, they utilized that capital to self-fund this small portion of Airbnb to the point where they were able to raise seed capital. I mean, think about that. So, but when we hear the story is, oh, $40, $60 billion company, the genius of these individuals. And I want to actually dispel those concepts. Because what we did with Lab Labs, how we started out as a startup, I mean, you never heard a story of these guys having two sophisticated apps built at one time. I went overboard. I didn't have to do that. I could have just built a small little app, raised capital for my community. Even if I wanted to give away 60% of my company up front, which would have been preposterous, we would have had something in the market that would have been successful. But we took the different route because we wanted to see 
or show our culture, we're going to build a tech company how you would make your album in a studio. Mm. People in our culture will spend a month on one song to ensure it's just a level of precision that we operate from. So here's this tech company, and here's these other little apps that we built. So we always thought about how do we build a company where the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. So you never think about our company so linearly. Oh, iLot Radio, the app. Yummy, the app. That's fine. But that's Lab Labs. You can always expect opulence mm-hmm. from them. I don't know what they're building next. When I invest in Lab Labs, they did the music app. They did the social taste app. Those are successful. But what's next? That's, that's our brand. That's the impression that we want yeah. to leave on people. Yeah. What's next? Because I know it's going to be something genius. So that's the impression. And that impression really derives from how I always over-deliver for people as well. So that's what I wanted to talk about as far as bringing that value asset to my brother. I want to over-deliver for him so he could say, I didn't even have a new idea, but I want to work with you tomorrow. So I'm going to think about something else. Imagine me inspiring you to have a new idea Mm -hmm. because we were already successful with something I was assisting you with. And that's what it's really about, inspiring people. So my brand, I suppose, my personal brand is to really inspire others, to put that level of aspiration into people. When When they leave for me, they say, I'm just inspired to do more. Because of that conversation I had with Duran. So I suppose that's my, my personal value proposition to people. Listen, y'all. If you don't have that level of excitement, when you communicate your ideas to the world, then scratch them and go work for somebody else that is excited about their ideas. I'm 19 Keys. This has been a high-level conversation. And this is Durant Davis. Don't forget his name. Tap in. One in seven wallets are owned by women. There's not enough women in cryptocurrency. A lot of women talk about being independent and not depending on a man or finding themselves in situations to where they are financially oppressed. But cryptocurrency allows women to be able to take the power in their own hands, to be able to utilize a simple skill set and start making money on a daily basis. You can be a mother, you can be a part-time employee, and you can still trade cryptocurrency by following the market and being part of a growing community. I don't want to see the next generation of women left behind because they didn't tap in and interact with this opportunity. That's why I created Infinite Wealth Strategies. It's infinite wealth, but you need a strategy in order to get you some. Make sure you tap in today, use promo code WOMAN, and take control of your future. It's waiting for you. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.